0: Welcome women here we talk about sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood the call to women's work and so much more. I'm Bethany Wilde an author mother and mentor for women's wellness practitioners who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic womb and pelvic care and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome everyone. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation that I had today with Anissa. And so she is a really knowledgeable, wise woman in all of these topics of holistic nutrition and natural mothering. And so I brought her on because I really wanted to uh, hear her birth stories, and I wanted to talk to her about preconception nutrition and preparation, and what resilient motherhood means to her. And as you'll hear, we, uh, she spent some time, most of the time, diving really deep into her beautiful birth stories. So we didn't get a lot of time at the end to cover and ask the questions about preconception nutrition. Um, But if you go on her social media, you will find a ton of really valuable, unique, insightful wisdom on probably all of the questions that you have. And then if you want to dive deep, at the end, she talks about how she is releasing her course, Resilient Motherhood, and that's a course that's going to prepare you um, on this journey of preconception and preparing your body. So definitely listen to the end to get information on that if that is calling you and if you are in that time of your life, I think there's really no one better to learn this from. And so we didn't go too deep into what resilient motherhood means, but I just love this concept so much. I love that term. And I see just how much what we eat and how we nourish ourselves, how that's such a key part of being resilient, which is, you know, something that I strive to be. I want to be a resilient mother and, and woman and human, and there's so much to how well nourished we are creating that emotional stability and that resilience to all the things that life Throws at us, and these are such crazy times. We, I feel like we need that that edge more than ever of um, being truly well nourished in a time where there's like depleted soils and we have toxins, environmental toxins in our environment everywhere we go and. You know, we have to read the food labels because there's all of these things in there that attack our vitality. And, you know, I've talked before in a few different episodes about the level of depletion that we have as modern mothers, just first of all, a nutritional level, but then, um, also not having you know a village and support so much of the time that we it is so easy to be a depleted mother and the idea of claiming nourishment resilience vitality in motherhood is like this big goal of mine and this dream and this possibility and I know that nutrition is one really big piece of it um so again, we didn't really dive too deep in, in that, but maybe I'll bring her on another podcast to really go deep into preconception and you know postpartum nutrition, um, or we will just cover that in a dip- different episode. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit about Anisa's bio here. She is a holistically minded certified nutritionist. She has a lot of experience in this subject area. She is a natural mama of two boys living in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And her life's purpose is to inspire and educate women to live, eat and move with intention and confidence so they can create the family of their dreams. She serves women throughout the motherhood transition through one-on-one holistic nutrition coaching online and through her upcoming online preconception preparation course called Resilient Motherhood. So you can find her full bio in my show notes where you can read a little bit more about her experience and her perspective and all the links to find her work, to find her online, to follow her. I think you will definitely, through this episode, feel into her beautiful energy and just want to get more so in this episode she's going to be sharing um, the stories of her two births so she talks about the differences between her first midwife attended birth and then her second free birth and she just shares throughout the episode on her, her wisdom, how she just inherently trusts the body's intelligence and how she has continued to align with that to manifest her the beautiful birth experiences that she has had. So I think this is just going to be a really sweet, inspiring, um, happy listen into her birth stories and then just a little bit at the end on the preconception, nutritional... Info. Um, so definitely find her online if you want to dive deeper into that. Thank you all for being here so much. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you giving this podcast a a review if you have been finding this valuable. It really helps to reach more women and to get higher up on the algorithms and helps me continue this project. Uh, project, which I have been just absolutely loving having these conversations and getting this out to women. So here is Anissa, and thanks again for tuning in, and let's dive in.
1: All right.
2: So, well, thank you for having me here, Bethany. Um, And yeah, I I think maybe my relationship to motherhood began when I became a daughter, (laughs) really, you know, because first off, I started to observe, like, how did, like, what stories did I hear from my own mother about, um, you know, pregnancy, birth, and breastfeeding? Um, You know, how did I witness like being mothered and and i think i'm very thankful that i grew up with um a foreign mother <laughs> um you know my mom is from iran and she came here to the us like i think she was 35 years old um and so she had had like most of her influence from that you know that culture and um I noticed the differences significantly as I started going to school and like seeing how other people were raised and things like that, where I immediately felt so different Um, in in so many ways, whether it was like the way we were eating or the way, like the way we did things or whatever. Um, We spoke Farsi at home, you know, pretty much exclusively. Um, And so, that that really carried over into mothering. And my mom was very proud that she breastfed me for two years. Um, you know, even though I was born by cesarean, both my brother and I, uh, were born by cesarean because we were breached. And that was kind of like, you know, from her perspective, it was like, this is what I had to do. And like, she didn't, I think growing up in that culture as well, there's a lot of like, you know, telling women what you're allowed to do and like not allowed, not being allowed to question authority. And so she did not question that authority at all. And so, uh, she was like, okay, like, this is the safest thing for my, my babies, you know, they're going to be born, uh, by surgery, you know, because they're breached. And, um, and then it was just, she just kind of moved on from that. And, um, but she still did like everything that she could in her power to like raise us in the way that she knew was like, uh, physiologically appropriate, and so um, yeah. So she was very proud to have breastfed us for two years, and uh, has always expressed that to me as I was growing up. Like you need to, you need to breastfeed your babies uh, for at least two years. And <laughs> later on, I realized just how uh, arbitrary that two-year mark was because as soon as I started breastfeeding for two years with my first, she was like, "Okay, aren't you done yet?" <laughs> and so. Um, but yeah, so I think that was kind of like where my relationship to motherhood began. And then, uh, like fast track to like being a nutritionist and I'm working in a integrative health clinic, um, where the majority of the, the people who came through that office were probably about like, you know, 80 to 90% women and between like reproductive years to like perimenopausal. Right. And so I saw a lot of, a lot of women um, and particularly the health challenges that show up as a result of ignoring your health, as a result of not nourishing yourself optimally as a real, as a result of following cultural norms of like what women should do uh, and what they sh- like, how they should treat their bodies. Um, and so I really started to like identify like, okay, these are like pretty major problems that are showing up. And I, and I like, oftentimes it would be like a new mom who was like, I need help learning how to eat after pregnancy. And usually it was like how to lose weight after pregnancy. And I was like, hold on, like, you're not supposed to be losing weight right now. You have to feed your baby. (laughs) And so like, then I was like, okay, like, here are some like cultural norms that we have to start um, like confronting. And then more and more, I started to notice like, okay, if this person is having, you know, said issue, like whatever it was in their pregnancy, or, you know, whether it's gestational diabetes or preeclampsia or preterm birth or whatever it was, I kind of just like kept saying like, okay, like addressing this before you get pregnant is really like what you have to do. And, and so that was kind of like my whole, um, like journey into learning more about the entire motherhood transition. Right. And so I was like, I I kept doing more and more research and, and hearing more and more birth stories. and like, okay, this is like a physiological norm. And then this is like what we're seeing, like widespread in the mainstream, like birth community. And so, um, yeah, from a like nutritionist perspective, uh, I was addressing this with my clients, um, you know, obviously with food, but also like considering the body as a whole, I'm also like, you know, touching on lifestyle and like mindset and exercise and all these different things. And so that then prepared me in working with people to then like enter into my motherhood transition, like far more prepared. And, uh, because there were so many outcomes, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want that to be me. You know, I want to be able to like go into this transition prepared. So that's kind of how, how I've entered into this, this realm. (laughs)
1: So, how long did you spend preparing your own body and mind for for pregnancy the first time?
2: Yeah, um, intentionally, probably about two years. Um, you know, I had been vegetarian for a lot of my teenage years and through early college, um, and so I had my own health problems that led me to changing my diet and you know, thankfully like changing my diet meant also preparing for pregnancy because uh, you know, the health problems that showed up were fixed by a preconception diet. Right. And so that's, that's the thing about fertility is that like fertility is really the expression of optimal health. And so, um, and so that's kind of like what I naturally was led to. And so um, I had been probably within like five years before actually conceiving, I had started eating more and more like quality like nutrient dense foods um but more intentionally like uh with within two years and I probably I don't necessarily recommend two years for everybody it was more just like I had had a snowboarding injury and like you know in that two years and so I couldn't walk and all of these things and so uh it lengthened the time that you know uh that we were like going to start trying it was like okay we're gonna delay this a year (laughs) that's
1: amazing though what a gift
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah. Calling in your first child. How, how was that? And how was your first pregnancy? And, um, did you have any, did you want to birth outside the system with your first birth or was that your, was that later?
2: Yeah. So I wasn't yet aware of like, that it was safe, you know, to birth outside the system. (laughs) I thought I was birthing outside of the system when I was working with a midwife, (laughs) Um, you know, and so um, like the reason why I had chosen to to go with a midwife was because when I went to Bastyr University uh, for my bachelor's and my master's degrees, um, they also have a midwife institute there, uh, midwifery institute, and I recall um, at both of my graduations, you know, the mid- midwifery students were also graduating and they read this really beautiful oath um, at their graduation that really, like, I remember um, sitting in the audience and like crying <laughs> because it was like, that's so beautiful, you know, like, like honoring the mother infant bond and like all of these things. And so that really, like, struck me. I'm like, okay, like midwives respect uh you know the female body and the 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 importance of that maternal infant bond and um and so I like started researching midwives near me you know far before I even got pregnant um and started developing a relationship um with like with the one that was with the one that was near me and so I kind of already like knew that this is the person who I was going to be using Um, and then yeah so I you know, moving into like that conception time, I had already been tracking my menstrual cycle, um, you know, learning about my cycle tendencies and, you know, my ovulation and my fertility signs and all of that stuff, because I knew that like, well, if I, if I know how to prevent pregnancy with that, then it's going to be way easier to conceive when we're ready. And so it definitely was true, right? Like we did, we did conceive on the first try and, It was um, actually, I'll tell the story um, because it was during the cycle of conception. um, It was in March and as a Baha'i in the month of March, you know, there's the the 19 days prior to the first day of spring, which is the Baha'i new year. um, We fast from sunrise to sunset and um, and it was kind of just a timing thing where like, finally I was able to, I was able to walk, you know, fully, I was able to squat fully. And that was kind of my requirement for being able to, you know, cause after that knee injury, I was like, you know, I want to be able to move in, in order to, uh, to get pregnant. And so then I was like, okay, well, this is the, this is the cycle that we're going to try to conceive, but I also want to participate in the fast. And so knowing how fasting impacts menstrual cycles, I was a little bit conflicted because I was like, well, like you know, I know it's going to delay my ovulation, but I'm going to really, really try to maximize my calorie intake and just make sure that I'm getting enough calories and getting enough, you know, nutrient dense foods and all of that. And I did, which is the fascinating thing. Um, because my cycle, my ovulation was delayed, I think by five days, uh, compared to my normal, right? Like I, I would typically norm, uh, you know, typically ovulate around day 15 and and i think i ovulated around day 21 um yeah so 6 days and um it was so fascinating right and such a great like learning or teaching experience right to cuz so many women are fasting um you know for a variety of reasons um and that's not to say that it's not ever beneficial right there's definitely times where it can be beneficial but um like fasting being a stressor on the body um or any other stressor right like when the body feels stressed in that like that springtime that pre ovulate ovulatory period um it's so smart right like <laughs> i think there's so much wisdom in the body saying like hey now might not be a great time to conceive right because we don't like there's like inconsistency with access to resources and um and so for me it was like i had been consistently having like regular meals and all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, like not eating for a significant period of time during the day. Right. I would eat before sunrise and eat after sunset, but still during the day, it was not sufficient. And, um, so anyway, I still ovulated, you know, once I, so I, I fasted for a week and then I was like, okay, a couple of days before my normal ovulation time, I'm going to start eating again. And so I started eating again and, um, and then we uh, or like then my ovulation was delayed. I noticed that. And then I still was able to time conception or time intercourse appropriately. Um, as my like fertile mucus started producing and my fertile mucus started producing the day I started eating during the day, <laughs> like, like the next day it was amazing. Uh, it was like my estrogen wanted to surge, but, <laughs> but it was just like holding off. Like we're waiting, we're waiting. <laughs>
1: so
2: cool. Yeah. And so um, and I think that's like that really goes to show just how um important it can be to know what fertile signs to look for if you're trying to time conception, right? And so, I then, and that's that's something I, I teach in my course as well. But anyway, so i I conceived, um I think around day twenty one, and, yeah, my early pregnancy was pretty easy., um, you know, it was, like moderate, I had moderate amount of nausea. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was like morning sickness. Um, it was just kind of like, if I didn't eat every three hours, I would start to get nauseous. <laughs> and, you know, normally like, cause I was going to work at the time, um, I would go probably four hours between breakfast and my lunchtime. And so then it was just like, I had to have a snack in between patients. And, um, and that was, that was really the only change that I found that was really necessary to like keep the nausea away. And sometimes I use like a ginger tincture. Um, but besides that, it was, it was pretty, pretty mild. Um, I didn't really throw up. I think there was one time that pregnancy that I threw up and it was because I, I had been eating breakfast in the car on the way to work and wasn't eating mindfully. And I think I ate too much because I like got to work and I was like, Oh, I don't feel good. And so I like, you know, went to the break room and threw it up and that was that. Right. And then like, that was the only time, um, until like, morning sickness and nausea
1: is really related to lack of nourishment and you yeah. years, plus right. nourishing yourself. So that's a great
2: testament to that. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, and, and I think it also, um, there's some wisdom in like, Potential harm, like uh, the body's trying to protect you in a way. So, like, I'll uh, I'll come back to this in a second. But on the topic of throwing up, in my second pregnancy, um, I had taken some rancid fish oil, and it it smelled a little fishy. And I was like, this isn't really supposed to smell fishy, you know. But I've, I bought it a month ago. It should be fine. It's been I've been kept keeping it in the fridge. And so I took it anyway, you know, and I like, my body knew, I was like, uh, you know, but my body knew within five minutes, I threw it up. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, thank you, body. Like, even when my mind tries to like, you know, ignore your needs, you are still looking out for me. (laughs) Um, Okay. So backtrack to like the first, first trimester of my first pregnancy. Um, Yeah, it was pretty easy. Um, I started showing like very soon, you know, my, my boss looked at me at, I was like maybe seven, seven weeks pregnant. Um, and she's like, you've got a certain glow to you today. She's like, are you pregnant? (laughs) And given, you know, she's a naturopath and, um, you know, works with women in like hormones and stuff. And so she knows what to look for. Uh, she also like, it wasn't a secret that I was like preparing for pregnancy. Um. And so, but, you know, she, she also was like, you know, I can, I can tell like you're showing. And, um, and it, that was so like funny to me that like my, all of my coworkers and she didn't share it with anybody. All of my coworkers knew I was pregnant by eight weeks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So just kind of an int- interesting thing. Um, and then I I would say like my experience through pregnancy was like fairly you know, just, I mean, normal, but like normal in the sense of like, I felt good. Um, You know, like I didn't have a whole lot of things to complain about. Um, I started experiencing some like SI discomfort, um, you know, SI joint discomfort, uh, like as my belly started getting bigger and, you know, I was continuing to work out and I was just like intuitively changing my workouts to what, like what felt good. You know, I was still like weightlifting all the way through my, the end of my pregnancy I have this like photo of like me doing like heavy deadlifts at like 42 weeks pregnant. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it just kind of like I was doing what felt good. And, um, I kind of started shifting my exercise to helping me practice more like resiliency training, you know, like what I like to call it, where, um, I knew that like, in like birth is such a, um, there's like so much surrender in birth, but it's also like all about your mindset in terms of like how you approach it. And so I was like, well, I want to train my mindset. And, um, and so I started doing like, uh, bouts of, you know, like 90 seconds on 90 seconds off on like the stationary bike in our gym. And I would go hard and I would just like practice breathing through the discomfort of it. <laughs> and, and I, i like really feel like that was such a, a great way to prepare for birth, not because like, I mean, birth is intense in its own way, but just learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, um, I found was, was just so, um, critical of a skill to have because, you know, and and I like went into birth. So, so prepared, right? Like I had, you know, at the time I had a list of like homeopathic remedies and all of these herbs and, um, you know, everything like snacks and like everything I should have on hand. And I was like, I was way too prepared, I think, um, in hindsight, because then I go into birth and um, I didn't need any of it. All I needed was my breath and my movement and like my inner connection and that that was all. And I, I just remember being like after birth being so like surprised that everyone's talking about like oh here you need hypnobirthing and here you need to like do this and do that and take this medication and you know all of that stuff and I was like wow like it was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. It <laughs> <So laughs> release that kind of type A personality.
1: Yeah. <laughs> of course. Dad. Okay so um, yeah I'd love to hear about that first. You describe it as easy that's that's
2: intriguing. (laughs) I mean, okay. So like easy is, is relative, right? Like what, when I hear of like, you have to have all of these like coping strategies, right? Like people talk about like squeezing a comb or whatever. Um, (laughs) like (laughs) these coping strategies, right? Like, I guess it was more the sense that I didn't need any of those coping strategies. I was, it was like being with my body and my breath was enough. Um, to to withstand the intensity of birth. Um, and so that's what I mean by easy. It wasn't easy. <laughs> it was definitely challenging. Um, but yeah, so leading into the birth, um I think it's interesting noting that I ovulated a week late because the midwife still wanted to calculate my dates based on the like traditional 28 day cycle. Yeah. and, I told her, I was like, I know exactly when I ovulated, I know the day I conceived, I felt implantation. (laughs) I know all of this information. Why are you still counting my dates based off of the day of my first period? And she was like, that's just how we do it. And so I had reached, you know, uh, 40 weeks. There was still no sign of baby like being ready to come. I had reached 41 weeks um, still like no sign of baby being ready to come. And, um, you know, I think I was like 41 and, uh, 41 and I gave birth on 41 and five. So I think it was 41 and four days I had gone to, it was a Monday. I had gone to, uh, the midwife appointment and we kind of started like talking about my options. Um, you know, Because at least in the state of Washington, you know, midwives have a certain scope, you know, in which they're allowed to attend births, um, that's like deemed safe. And she also, she felt so conflicted. I could see it because she was like, you are the healthiest patient I have ever had. I have no doubts that you will birth a healthy baby when the, when it's time for the baby to be born. Um, And at the same time, like, you could just see that she was like, my hands are tied. Like I have to follow this guidance, you know, these expectations of my license. Um, and so she was like, we can wait to do some like testing. She was like, on this day, you would have to go do some like testing or whatever at the hospital to like, make sure that it's safe to give birth or whatever. And then Um, I think she was convinced that I was going to come before 42 weeks. And so, um, she didn't seem as like worried about it, but I was like, well, like, that's a big difference, right? If I'm like planning on birthing with this person here. And then all of a sudden, like, I can't like, that's a stressful experience for me. And at the time I didn't know about free birth and I didn't know, I mean, I think I had been following the free birth society on Instagram, but I like, didn't. Read the captions. I just thought I was like, oh, these are like beautiful, like natural birth, like experiences, right? Like (laughs) how it's supposed to be. And then like it wasn't until like after my first birth that I actually started like listening to the Free Birth Society podcast and like actually hearing free birth stories. And um, I honestly don't know what I would have done like if I did make it past forty two weeks, right? Because I I gave birth on forty one and five, right? And so um, if I if I had made it past forty two weeks, like I I want to say that I was, that I would have given birth at home myself. Cause I can't, I could not see myself going into a hospital to birth. Like it's, that's, I've never, I've only ever been to a hospital once, um, for like a emergency, you know, we thought I had meningitis. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of like one of those things where like, I, I would not feel safe giving birth there. I would just want to stay home. And I would probably just stay home until something came up, you know, that that's what I like, that's what I would feel in, you know, in my bones. But at the same time, I was like, Oh, like I've been raised with this idea that like birthing at home is unsafe. And had I heard the stories from my mom, like, cause I didn't actually ask my mom stories about her mother's births. Um, I think I probably would have felt more confident birthing at home on my own, even like without the midwife, um, because my grandmother, she had 10 births, um, all of them at home. They didn't have a hospital where they lived. Um, and five of her children died, uh, in child, like early childhood. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many pregnancies she ended up having. Um, you know, like there they must, she must've, you know, had pregnancy losses as well. Um, but just like, I mean, they were very poor. She was very malnourished. Um, even then, you know, she still had like five healthy babies who were born at home. Um, and I remember this one story actually, um, where with one of her, like they had like a traditional midwife who would come and stuff, but they didn't do much at that time. You know, um, they would like help with the cleanup and stuff, but there was, um, one story that I remember my mom telling me where, uh, my grandmother was giving birth and she asks one of her older kids to go run and get the, to run and go get the midwife. And he runs out <laughs> and the kids are like playing soccer in the street. And he starts playing soccer in the street and forgets to go get, the, <laughs> forgets to go get the midwife. <laughs> and so she gave birth, you know, like without the midwife there and all, <laughs> it was just so funny. Cause like, you know, just imagining being like my five-year-old son, (laughs) of course he would want to go play. I'm like, he would, he doesn't recognize the like importance of like, you know, having somebody there. So it was just funny, uh, a funny story, but yeah, you know, like in my heritage, like there were, there were women who birthed at home without medical attention and they were just fine. Um, so, so anyway, as I approached that, um, my birthing time, I had, I was like, okay, let let me do like what's in my power or whatever to like help my baby come when he's ready. Um, I went to, you know, the clinic that I was working at, we have, uh, some acupuncturists there. And so I went and, you know, got some acupuncture and Oh, at my, at the midwife appointment, this, this is, I think a critical thing. She did a membrane sweep. Um, and I didn't know what it was at the time. You know, she was like, "Let's just check, you know, your cervix and like make sure everything's, you know, let's just see how dilated you are, just out of curiosity or whatever." And um, and she's like, "I'm just gonna like, and I and I like, I really don't like the, I'm just going to like that that lead in to any kind of intervention is like a, okay, that's not <laughs> that's not informed consent. Um, I'm just going to stick my finger here and sweep right there, you know." And so. For people who don't know a membrane sweep, you know, as I understand it is, uh, essentially like peeling the membranes away from the tissues, um, to, to like, it doesn't break the bag of waters, but it helps to like speed things up. I don't know. Do you have a better way to, to describe that? Um, I guess I don't have a better way to describe the physiology
1: But I, I feel like I need to look this up. I feel like it's opens <laughs> the cervix though, artificially, and kind of can get yeah. contractions started. Yeah. Man, it's, it's unbelievable how often this happens without any. Yeah. Unknowingly. Unknowingly. Yeah. The fact that yeah. you knew that she
2: did it is, is interesting too, because
1: a lot of women don't.
2: Well, I mean, she said, I'm just, I'm just going to sweep right here. It's going to help move things along a little bit. That, that was what she said. And then it wasn't until I went back and I heard stories like birth stories, people telling, and I was like, Oh, that's not a normal thing. And that's actually an intervention, you know? Um, It's violating and dangerous. And yeah. 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 Just a
0: quick interjection here since I could not come up with the exact physiology on the spot, but Anissa is absolutely right. A membrane sweep is something that a medical provider does where they insert a finger into the yoni and they loosen the membranes that connect the amniotic sac to the wall of the uterus. And as I mentioned, it is a a very um painful and dangerous intervention that is done to start labor.
2: But and it so your- it got it got things moving. Um I also took castor oil that she recommended. Um I take, you know, she was like just put it in a smoothie and that was the worst decision. <laughs> I think I could have done because I was on the toilet like for like the first, I think three hours of my labor, like endlessly, like it was so uncomfortable. And and that was a thing, like going into my second birth, I was like, I don't know what's normal, you know, like without the membrane sweep, without the castor oil, like how do I expect to go into labor, you know? Um, and so anyway, I uh, leave So that night, I you know, I, I I had done the membrane sweep with the with the midwife, I'd done acupuncture, and I'd gotten a, a massage that night, um, usually in the evening time, I was like starting to experience like some mild cramping. Um, you know, like where I would just like lay, it was just kind of a, a regular evening routine. I was just kind of like lay on the couch on my side and my baby would be like super, super active. And I just like sit there with him and like have my hand on my belly and just like play with him, you know? And, um, and then it would just like start to feel a little bit more crampy and, um, each night leading up to that time, I would like go to bed, like prepared, you know, like I'm ready to go like into a full, an all-nighter, you know, kind of thing. And then I would wake up with so much energy because I was just like ready to go. And so then I'd like burn through burn through that energy with a, like a good workout during the day so that I like felt balanced again. Um, and then, so yeah, that night I I was, it was just like kind of a typical night and I was just like feeling out and it just started feeling like a little more intense, crampy, right? And given, I had had really horrible menstrual cramps when I was vegetarian and like debilitating. Um, and so it it just like the beginning of labor just felt like a normal period at that point, um, you know, for what I had experienced. Um, and I was just, you know, so anyway, I had I had gone to sleep probably around nine or 10 that night. Um, feeling like that was going to be the night. And I woke up at 12 o'clock on the dot with like contractions, three minutes apart. And, you know, and they were just like going and going and, uh, and they were really intense. And I just remember thinking like, okay. Uh, and I don't remember the exact timings of like, you know, what's considered active labor or whatever, but I remember like pretty or like within like, an hour of waking up at midnight, you know, I was in active labor. Um, and you know, I was like, okay, like, what am I supposed to do? I called the midwife and I'd tell her, like, this is what's going on. And you know, I had a doula um because I thought I had to, you know, And you know, so I had I had a doula, and I called her and I was like, okay, this is what's going on. And then, you know, I didn't feel like either of them needed to be there yet. but honestly, I didn't really know when I would have like, it's it's really interesting. Cause it's like, I was trying to do things as I should have, right? Like this is what you're supposed to do. And I felt like in my second birth, I was really like, what do I want to do? Like, who do I need to be there? Who do I want to be there? And so I felt like that was a really big difference, like going into each of those births. But, um, so I was like, well, I don't know when the doula should come. Like, I feel fine, but here, call her, whatever. And so I woke up my husband cause I felt like I had to. <laughs> and, um, And so he was just there with me. And, um, and so I was like in active labor, I guess, like for until 5am. And then that's when like the the midwife had come and she like checks me for the first time. She's like, oh, you're like eight or eight centimeters dilated. Um, She's like, you're really close, you know? And I I hate that (laughs) because then it like gives you a false expectation. Um, And so Uh, I was like, well, like, I would like to go in the bathtub. Can I go in the bathtub? And she's like, yeah, sure. And so um, I go in the bathtub and I'm like in there for probably at least three hours. And I'm like, okay, like if I was eight centimeters, three hours ago, like, shouldn't I be more dilated by then? Like, isn't it like, when do I know it's time for the baby to come? And I just remember like constantly like outsourcing, you know, like, asking like, when is, when is it time? Like, when do I do this? And like thinking it's like a thing that happens by the book. Um, and you know, like, and then the duel was like, oh, well, how do you feel? Like, and I was like, I don't know, like I'm having contractions, (laughs) but like, it doesn't feel like things are moving in any direction. Right. It just feels like I'm like could continuously like going through these cycles of contractions and, you know, and I was breathing through them and my husband was pouring like warm water on my belly. Cause the bathtub wasn't high enough, um, for it to be like fully submerged. And yeah, he was just pouring this like warm water on my belly and it felt really good. And I was like, okay, like I'm breathing through these and I'm like handling it. But like, when does the baby come? <laughs> you know, Cause it didn't feel like it was getting like that much more intense. Um, and so then um, I think the, the doula was like, well, do you, does it feel like you have to poop? And I was like, well, kind of. And so I like stood up, I was like, let me just go try to poop. And so I like, I stood up and as soon as like gravity hit me, it just like dropped the baby down. And um, and it really just felt like, oh, like that. Now I feel the weight of the baby and like all of that. And um, and the same thing happened in my second in my second birth. So I'll get, I'll get back to that. But so I like, I, I, you know, I stand up and I'm like going, I'm like trying to poop. And then, you know, the midwife checked and she was like, yeah, you're fully dilated. You can start pushing. And I was like, okay, uh, doesn't feel like I have to push, but let me try, you know? So it was like, anytime, like a wave of contractions would, would come, I just started like, like bearing down and, um, and it felt so incongruent. Um, it felt like I was constipated, you know, like where if you're like constipated and you don't have a bowel movement and you're trying to push, it, it like felt like this this doesn't feel right, and um, it felt like I was trying to like use my vaginal muscles to like move the baby out where like the baby like really needed like a full like you know not a bowel movement but a full like uh, womb <laughs> womb movement to push the baby out, <laughs> um, and so there was about like, I don't know, four hours or so of doing that, um, of like moving into different positions. And that's when I started to feel like what's wrong with me. You know, like I was dilated at this point and, um, baby's still not coming out, you know, and then I could see even in the energy with, without them saying anything, the, the doula and the midwife were like, Hmm, like it's taking kind of long, you know, like that kind of thing. And, um, and then there was a point where, you know, she, she was like, you know, it seems like the baby's head is really big. Um, I'm not sure you're going to be able to, uh, like birth him here. She was really like careful not to say hospital or emergency or things like that, but like, I, like, I'm not dumb. I know, I know what she means. Um, and so, uh, She was like, how about we move you onto your back so that gravity can help to lower his head. And, you know, he seems to be getting, you know, stuck behind your pubic bone. And so maybe if we can like move you in a certain position, you you can get him out or whatever. And so, um, but then at that point, so I was like on my back, I had my knees pulled up towards my shoulders and like, my husband was like helping to like C curve my head forward. You know, so like my spine was in a C curve and um which is like really interesting cuz that's like kind of how i orgasm <laughs> like that's you know like that's like a position that like uh mm-hmm. yeah like i yeah i i you know being on my back and like knees up <laughs> So i i'm curious about like how that you know uh is it like how that p- potentially impacts um birth and stuff but um anyway so but then it was, it was kind of, it was obviously it was like really, it was really intense. And I could feel his head like starting to, to come down a little bit. And then she was like, you know, his head's coming down and then it's going back up and it's coming down and it's going back up. And, um, she had given me a timeline where she was like, okay, if the baby's not out in 30 minutes, we're going to, cause she was like, asked her, she had a midwife assistant who like I don't really remember who she was, but, um, you know, who was like kind of keeping time and like all that kind of, she was like, how much time has she been pushing for it? It was like four and a half hours or something. And, um, she was like, okay, like we really shouldn't be pushing longer than, you know, longer than that amount of time or whatever. So like, uh, I don't And I, I inside, I was like, you told me to start pushing. I wouldn't have been pushing like if you didn't tell me to, <laughs> but anyway, so then, uh, Yeah. So she she gave me that timeline and she, you know, was essentially like, okay, if the baby's not out in like 30 minutes, then we need to like make a decision here. And of course, I'm gonna do like everything in my power. I'm like, there's no way I'm leaving my house right now. (laughs) I know my baby's fine. Like I I know my body knows how to do this. Like, uh and, and anyway, she like kept telling me like, okay, now push, push, push. And the whole time I felt like I was pushing at the peak of the contraction. And it felt completely overwhelming, um, where, and I felt totally dissociated from my body. Right. Cause I was like getting this guidance externally and I wasn't listening to what I was feeling. All I was feeling was the intensity of the, of like the, the intensity of the contraction and like how much I didn't want to push. Um, and like trying to push into that, I was like, there's no way I can push into that. Like, that's too intense. And so, um, And it's really interesting, like how that experience was totally different. Like the perspective, my own personal perspective was totally different in my second birth. And we'll get to that. Um, But yeah, so then I like kept pushing. um, And finally it was, it was just, you know, kind of by force of like really trying to get him out. And um, he came out, you know, he tore. Like, oh, and the, or the, the one thing that I think was probably more painful than even the intensity of the contractions was the midwife had her fingers on my perineum, like trying to stretch it. And I just remember feeling like this like sense of recoiling where it was like, don't touch me there. Like I, and like, that was like the good girl in me was like not saying anything about it. Right. Like I just did not want her fingers on my perineum. It like hurts so bad. And, um, anyway, so then like, once he was born, I was like, thank God, like he's, he's out. She's like, you know, doesn't have her fingers in me anymore. And like, you know, it was, it was great. Like I, I had him, he was amazing. Um, he did the breast crawl, you know, like I, I was like, oh, I want to let him do the breast crawl. You know, I like pulled him to my chest. He was so slippery and, um, yeah, he was like perfectly healthy. Um, crying right away and just like uh yeah it was opening his eyes and it was it was just so sweet um you know and my mom I didn't know this at the time but my mom was standing right outside of our door um <laughs> listening oh. the whole time and she's recording it she has like a 15 minute audio recording of me like in labor uh trying to push the baby out Did and you? Yeah, we lived together at the time. Um we don't anymore, but we did. And yeah, every every morning when I had been waking up and she's like, "So, like any signs of baby coming yet?" Like you're she's like, "I'm upset that you're coming downstairs in the morning and you don't have a baby." <laughs> um but yeah, so she kind of comes in probably a minute or so after the ba- you know, baby comes out and you know, she's just like so so excited and um yeah, it was just, it was really sweet to be able to enjoy that with, you know, my husband there and, uh, and my mom coming in and, you know, just getting to like, watch, watch our son. um, Yeah. Do like, just build this connection, you know, immediately. And, um, and it was definitely like the most joyous experience of my life, you know, at that point. And, um, and so I remember in like, later on when I had expressed to my husband that I wanted to free birth, he was like, oh, like I thought you had a good birth. And so I was like, yeah, but like, there was all these things that like, that happened in it that I, you know, wish didn't happen. And like, if it could happen in an even more joyous way, then like, why not? (laughs) And so, um, but anyway, so that like immediate, um, immediate postpartum period, I just remember feeling like, so um, there was so much like intensity and like a natural amount of like emotional overwhelm, right? Like, it's just like, wow. Like I just went through this, this whole experience. And, um, and I remember, you know, just like laying on the bed for like at least the first hour with my baby and just, um, just enjoying each other, you know? And, um, he was, he was pretty bloody, (laughs) um, you know, and it, yeah, it was, it was really nice. And Um, the one thing that like, I also, I didn't love about that experience was that, um, the midwife started doing this like fundal attack, (laughs) you know, they, they like to call it a fundal massage. Um, but it was, it was very, very painful. Um, she was trying to push the placenta out and, um, and then she also stitched me up, um, you know, and that, that was, that was like a very, like, I, I mentally try to block it out, you know, it's like, okay. Like I, I personally really remember like the, like being, being with my child. But then when I go back and I look at the pictures, I'm like, oh yeah, the midwife was down there doing that stuff. And I really didn't like it. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, but we, I had a really great, like immediate postpartum. Um, I had set myself up to be supported. You know, I lived with my parents. I prepared a bunch of stuff ahead of time. We had a meal train set up. Um, I didn't leave my room for like the first week. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, it was really an, an enjoyable postpartum. And I would say like that postpartum period felt blissful for at least the first two years, because I mean, I was, I went back to work at three months postpartum working just two days and my baby would go with my mom. Um, and it was like the ideal setup for working away from the home. Right. I would nurse him just like, I would nurse him for his like morning nap um, right before leaving for work. My mom would give him like one bottle when I was at work and then she would bring him to my office to nurse. Um, And then he would like have his, you know, midday nap on the way home or whatever. And so it was, of course, like the, the routines shifted as he got older But it was, you know, he came to my office to nurse for at least the first two years. Um, And yeah, so that was like, um, I think it was important that like all of my like support system was, or all of my like community was supportive of, of that choice, right? Like my husband was like totally open to him, like to him being in bed with us, you know, and like was encouraging of like, you do what you need to do kind of thing. I know people whose like partners, like are adamant about their babies, not being in the bed. And I feel so sad for those mothers who have to go against their intuition. And like, I really need to have this baby with me, but then their partners are saying like, no, you're not allowed to, um, yeah, but then, so, so my husband was super supportive. Um, my mom, you know, was super supportive in like ensuring that I got as many breastfeeding, uh, like uh, you know, um, sessions throughout the day. Um, and then my, like my, uh, boss, right. Like she allowed me to bring my baby into my office. Right. It was on my lunch break. Right. But, um, you know, to be able to have him come and nurse and and things like that. So I think it was, it was really, um, if I didn't have a supportive community, I probably would have changed, (laughs) changed things, you know, like made it so that I did have a supportive community. Um, And it's like, I, I really feel so, um, I feel so much for women who are like alone with, with just their husband, um, in a place where they don't have any family, they don't have any like good friends who are supportive or things like that. Because like, I feel like with those people, like you have to have a postpartum doula, right. Or like, you know, somebody to, um, to stand in as your support person, because like, it's like, we're just, physiologically we're not supposed to do it without without that support. Um and so yeah, I felt and I felt like because I because of that, because I was only working like part-time, on the days where I wasn't working, I was napping with my son every day. Um and I like I felt so good. Like my energy was great. Like I that was one thing I didn't necessarily prepare for going into pregnancy, you know, like although it was or going into birth was that um was like the lack of sleep. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you have to do these like sleep training stuff. And I was like, I just, my gut tells me I'm going to know what to do. Like, (laughs) I don't feel like I have to like read these sleep books and stuff. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't because I just kind of went with my intuition and I was like, Oh, like, that's funny. Like we had, we had added a crib to our baby registry (laughs) and we like set it up in advance. And (laughs) And for the first three months, like we used it as like a towel rack. And I was like, this seems arbitrary to have this thing in our room. Like, let's just sell it. <laughs> my husband was like, yeah, let's get rid of it. Like we're obviously not going to use it, <laughs> but it was just so funny. Cause I was like, oh, this is like what you're supposed to have. And that actually, like, that was one of the things that led me to, I actually, I wrote an ebook called the natural mama's guide to newborn essentials, uh, for mindful, healthy, and eco friendly living, because there were so many things that I had put on my registry, like because people say you need these things that really like take you away from what babies truly need. And they take you away from what your intuition tells you. And so I, I, I was like so passionate about this, like, why are there so many things that we ended up either like buying or putting on our registry that like, don't even support normal, like infant development. Like what, like, these are things, these are the things that babies truly need. Right. And so I kind of like go into like the first half of that ebook is like what do babies truly need, right? Like loving touch, um, you know, having good nourishment, having good shelter, you know, having, you know, character or caregivers, right? Like people who can hold them and not just one person. Right. And so, so then I like give recommendations on like, you know, here are some things that you could actually use, like a ton of different types of baby carriers, (laughs) you know, or whatever. And so, yeah. And so so that was something that like, I really felt in my, in my like postpartum period with my first, um, it just, it went really well. Um, I had healed up pretty, you know, pretty quickly. Um, breastfeeding was, uh, far easier than I expected it to be. I, you know, kind of the opposite. I had a lot of problems with plug ducts and mastitis because, um, I had too much milk <laughs> Um, you know, I, I like went into my breastfeeding experience. I had already like in my preconception period, I had like visited a lactation consultant, you know, read a ton about like ways to troubleshoot breastfeeding challenges and things like that. Um, and I was like taking like galactagogue teas, you know, going into, (laughs) into like that lactogenesis, you know? And that was, I think- (laughs) a mistake. Um, I was producing far too much milk and, um, anytime my, anytime my baby slept away from my body, I would get a plug duct. Um, anytime he was on my body, I was fine. And so it was, I think the beauty, like the beauty of observing, like the wisdom of nature is so, it's so fascinating. You know, it's like, wow, like our bodies are really designed in this like complex, and very intentional way to allow for the well-being of the mother and the baby. Um, as long as we live in alignment with that, right? Like it was, you know, part of like in the later postpartum period when I would get a little bit more plug ducts and mastitis is it was because I was pumping wrong at work. You know, it was like the vacuum amount was too high. And like they say like go until your pain tolerance. Well I have a really high pain tolerance. <laughs> I was like, it's not painful yet. Let me just turn it up. So there's, you know, of course, like with each experience, you learn so much, right, um, and I, I like sharing my story, because I think there's things that other people can learn from it, and, and I think really an overarching theme that I like to um, hopefully get across is that, like, your body knows everything it needs to do, you know, whether it's, like, how to ovulate, <laughs> you know, whether it's, like, uh, when to conceive, and, like, you know, except accepting the sperm and all of that stuff, you know, to then like growing a whole baby and like being able to birth and to be able to breastfeed and things like that. And of course, like there are like different supports that are necessary throughout that time. But um, I think we outsource far more um, on our motherhood journeys um, than we need to be, than we need to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think there are just so many gems that you have shared in your entire story. So I just yeah, it, it's hard to pick them all apart because it's yeah. so many from like yeah, it just speaks to um your work too and just how much um aligning with our physiology does support our health and and you're a testament to that because you just had a, you know, a blissful, healthy experience and like when we start to deviate from that, like even in my own story, I see so many pieces where I deviated and, um, yeah, all the things started to unravel from there, like lack of support and pumping, leading to
2: clogged ducts
1: and things like yeah. that. So, um,
2: yeah. So yeah.
1: We care about mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And so kind of going into my second, um, pregnancy, I, So I hadn't had my cycle return until after my son's uh, second birthday. And, um, you know, he had turned two and I was just feeling this like energetic craving to be cycling. I wasn't ready to be pregnant again, but I was ready to be having a cycle. And so I night weaned him. It felt right. It felt right to night wean him. And then at the same time, I was like, yeah, I really, I really want to be cycling again. And so Within a month, I started ovulating uh, after after night weaning him. And it was amazing. That like first surge of cervical mucus was just like, so I was, I remember I was like working out (laughs) and then all of a sudden I just have this like huge discharge of like extremely fertile quality cervical mucus. And I was like, whoa, I just, (laughs) I'm ovulating like very soon. (laughs) Um, And interestingly, it was on the same day that I started menstruating when I was 13 years old. Um, you know, just like, I, oh. I, I don't know what, what the importance of that is, but like, I just thought it was fascinating that like my, I started cycling again, you know, around that time. And so, yeah, um, so I, I like was just tracking my cycles, um, you know, for about six months or so. And gradually, like, as I started weaning, like dropping a nursing session, my cycles would get more normal. It was like very directly intertwined with how much I was nursing. And, um, it got down to like, you know, it was like 37 days and then 35 days. And then I think, I think it got to like, I think it was around 33 days or something when I actually conceived. Um, cause I was still, I was still breastfeeding, you know, at least like five times, um, in the day. And, um, and so then, I get pregnant um summertime. I think it was like July uh 2020. July of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're in COVID and I work at a medical office. We were required to be masking at the time. Um, and I felt like a lot of conflict with that. I didn't want to be masking. Um, it didn't feel good. I felt like Interestingly, like I had I had thought I was pregnant a couple of cycles before I actually conceived, not because I was trying to conceive, but because I would get so nauseous um from wearing a mask. And there was something about releasing progesterone and wearing a mask that my body did not like <laughs> because it was like every luteal phase, I would just start to feel really bad and um I at first I thought I was pregnant but then I like you know my cycle would come and I was like okay like it's you know I'm not I'm not pregnant like what's going on here. And it took me about the first month to really figure it out the first month of being pregnant to figure out that it was the mask. Um because I would be at the time I was seeing patients face to face and then I would also see patients through telemedicine and the ones that I was seeing through telemedicine I felt totally fine. The ones I was seeing face to face where I had to wear a mask I was like, nothing could stop the nausea. I was like doing everything I knew how to do in my first pregnancy, you know, like eat protein, like make sure I'm eating regularly, like take some ginger, like those things were not working. And so I started taking some B6 and that wasn't working. And I was like, what is going on? Like why, you know, this doesn't feel right. Like I know I shouldn't be this nauseous. And, um, and then, it, it like clicked for me. I don't remember. I think it was just one day I had like, um, like four telemedicine visits. And I was like, wow, I haven't felt nauseous, like barely at all today. And, and I was like, oh, that's what it is. And so then I switched to using a face mask, you know, like one of those clear plastic shields. And I felt fine from that day, you know? And it was like, I was so angry about it. I was like, I can't believe like this many pregnant women are like being forced to mask and it's not safe. And, you know, like obviously my body's trying to tell me something. And so I go just out of curiosity, I go on PubMed and I search like pregnancy and like mask wearing or so- something like that. And i and like the first thing that shows up was like, you know, uh, there is insufficient evidence to show the safety of doing this kind of thing or whatever. I'm like, wait, wait. So like, it's not safe to actually like experiment on women <laughs> to wear masks in pregnancy. Um, and so I just thought that was such a fascinating, like, uh, experience. And, um, I all, that also led me to kind of overeating in the first trimester because I kept trying to like suppress this nausea you know, that was, that was happening at work. And I was like, I, I can't like be this nauseous with patients or whatever. I was like, let me just keep eating to try to like suppress it, even though it's only like partially working. And so I gained like 10 pounds more that pregnancy just, just because of that. Um, and, uh, I then switch at some point throughout my pregnancy, uh, I switched to working exclusively through telemedicine because I think there was like some kind of Big like wave of COVID or whatever, and you know they're like, okay, everybody's going to move to telemedicine, and I was like, I'm just going to stay telemedicine like for the rest of my pregnancy, please. (laughs) And so that and I did for like two years (laughs) uh, after that until I quit, and then um, yeah, so then I uh, went through that pregnancy, and again, most of the pregnancy I felt fine. Um, There was a little bit of like some the like discomfort in the, the sacro uh ligament. And that was, I had noticed that after my birth, my first birth as well, where it was like, um, if I would like walk or if I would like do a long hike and I would like walk down a mountain or something like that, that's when it would really bother me. And so I started to feel that a little bit in my pregnancy. Um, but beyond that, you know, I was still like working at home. I think I was doing like three days, uh, three days a week and um yeah, just kind of like had no, you know, normal normal well-being. I did I wasn't exercising as much as I was in my first pregnancy just because of like also having a toddler and you know working more days and things like that. Um, it was harder for me to like do as much as I n- needed to. Um, but I still did like, you know, sufficient um, you know, a sufficient amount of movement um for like being able to feel decent right and so going into that birth um i was let's see at the i had developed a really strong um like women's community like that kind of came out of all of the lockdowns because there was this like big uh you know community of women on instagram who were like we're gonna still see people our kids still need kids to play with and the playgrounds are closed and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I don't know if you know, Hannah Tovar, um, yeah. she started hosting play dates at her house and w- just like put this, you know, thing on her Instagram stories, like, Hey, come to my house, like face friendly, bring some food, bring your kids. And it was amazing. <laughs> you know, like I went there, there was like 20 women who were all like me. <laughs> and, you know, some of them were like, uh you know uh like perinatal massage therapist and uh you know a like mental health counselor and a yoga teacher and like uh you know just like so many different people who like both were like on this kind of uh health journey like health journey themselves but also helping other people with their health and then also like really caring about the health of their children and it was so amazing because I just remember there was like all these like naked kids playing, you know, it was like August and, um, and they're, uh, like, you know, three-year-olds are breastfeeding and, you know, all of these things. I'm like, oh, this is the community that I, that I needed, you know? <laughs> and so we had, um, Hannah and I got pregnant pretty much, you know, within three weeks of each other. And so she had, she and, um, Carlin, uh, I don't know if you know Carlin, uh, so she, um, they had both started a women's circle, like a, um, a regular, like free birth, um, village prenatal. And so I started going to that with them and, um, and it was really, really beautiful. Cause we had this, like, um, this community that we, that we built throughout like our pregnancies. And, um, and so going into my first birth, Um, I had actually been at Carlin's house for a women's circle and, you know, she lived about like 40 minutes away from me or so. And I was driving home and like throughout that whole day, I think, I think I was like right around like 40 weeks pregnant or something. Um, that whole day I was just kind of feeling like just mild, like cramping and stuff and, Um, and remember talking about it with the women there because I thought I was pregnant with twins. Um, I was so big, you know, like my, my belly had gotten so large and just comparing the photos, like right around, like the nearing my third trimester, I started noticing like, Oh, like I'm far larger than I was in my first pregnancy. Like just like the actual belly, like the, the roundness of my belly and, and all of that. And so um, I started thinking I, mean, I was pregnant with twins and, you know, I wasn't doing any testing or anything, but I had borrowed a fetoscope and was listening, you know, to my baby's heartbeat, like every time, every day when I would wake up and at night when I would go to bed, it was just kind of this nice, like tuning in, um, practice that I would do. And I would hear his heartbeat. Um, but I would just feel around and I could hear two distinct heartbeats. In hindsight, I think I was feeling his pedal pulse, you know, like his foot and his, and his heart, you know, cause it was, it was very similar in, um, in heart rate, but, and, and people are like, oh, you're just hearing your own heartbeat. I'm like, no, like mine's way slower than, than the baby's heart um, It's a different heartbeat. And so, um, but yeah, so I was like, oh shoot, I'm gonna be giving birth to twins. And so I remember like telling people this and I was like, okay, like this is this is gonna happen kinda of thing. And that was when I decided to invite Carlin to my birth was because I was like, well, I wasn't really planning on having anybody like, you know, be there as like a birth attendant, but I was like, from a logistic standpoint, I need extra hands. <laughs> and so, and I was, I had invited my friend Bridget, um, who's a photographer. And I, I wanted her there both because like, I knew like she was in her early pregnancy and I knew she wanted a free birth. So I knew that she was like, she knew the energetics of like holding space for a birthing woman. Um, and she's a photographer and I wanted her to be there, um, as a photographer. But then I was like, well, you know, I don't want her to have to like step in to be able to like hold an extra baby kind of thing. And so then that was when I decided to have Carlin comes like, okay, I feel th- like Carlin knows how to like be a presence at a birth and, you know, not to intervene and things like that. And that was kind of what was more important for me was like, you know, she heard my birth visions at village prenatal, you know, like she knew what I wanted it to be like. And so it was wonderful because during my birth, I was able to like, it was like, there was nobody there. Like they were literally just sleeping on my floor, <laughs> you know, like, um, and so Um, yeah, so on my way home from Carlin's house, I started experiencing like more intense sensations and I remember just driving up our gravel road and there was like, kind of like potholes, you know, and I would go over the potholes and then instantly I was just like, Oh, like that doesn't feel good to go over those potholes. So I like took them really slow and I was like, I think I'm actually in labor right now or like, I'm, you know, moving towards it. Right. It's hard to know really when it starts. Um, And so then my husband was still out with my older son. They had gone, you know, to do activities for the day and I get home and I'm like, okay, like, what do I want to do? That feels, feels really good. And, you know, nourishing. I was like, oh, I've been sitting at Carlin's house for a while. And so, uh, I was like, maybe I'll do a little bit of movement. So I go into our sauna and, you know, I don't turn it on super high. I had been saunaing throughout my pregnancy. Um, so I did have like pretty high heat tolerance, but I just turned it to like mildly warm and just wanted to like stretch. And, you know, I just kind of like do some intuitive stretching and, um, you know, and I'm like talking to a friend on the phone and then, um, you know, my husband and son get home and I tell him, you know, I tell my husband, I'm like, I think I'm in labor. Um, my contractions are probably, you know, they're intermittent kind of thing, but I know that it's going to happen tonight. And we had we had planned to go out to dinner to like one of our favorite restaurants that night. And as we were like nearing dinner time, my husband was like, okay, we have to make a decision. Like, are we going to go or not? <laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, like, oh, like being in the car for 30 minutes doesn't really sound good right now. Let's just, you know, get takeout and eat at home. And so, you know, he picked up some Indian food um takeout and um you know, and then we just kind of had a normal evening, right? Like we had dinner together at home. We went for a walk after on that walk. I kind of, there was like, maybe every couple of minutes, I was just like, get down into a squat and just breathe a little bit. And, you know, and then I would like get back up and keep walking. And then we'd like turn around and, and then we went home and, um, and then like, you know, it was time to put my son to bed and, you know, usually we read books and I would often fall asleep with him, uh, you know, reading books to him. And then I read books with him and started feeling some sensations while I was reading books. And I would just like kind of get up on my hands and knees and and I would just tell him, you know, like, oh, like I'm, I'm feeling the baby starting to get ready to, to come. And I'd put the book down and I get on my hands and knees and I just kind of like, you know, sway through it a little bit and breathe. And then it was just so, so sweet. Cause my son, you know, who was three at the time, he goes, he goes, yeah, mom, you do what you need to do. Get your wiggles out. <laughs> and so I did that probably like three or four times, uh, while we were reading. And then I told him, I was like, I'm only going to read one, one book with you, you know, uh, for tonight. And then like, usually I would lay with him until he fell asleep and he wasn't asleep yet. Um, but I'd like, I get on my hands and he's like, Mom, where, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'll, I was like, I'll stay here, but I'm just gonna like sway through and, and breathe through these sensations. And he's like, okay. He's like, but stay here until I fall asleep. I was like, okay. And so I did that. And then, so once he was asleep, it was maybe like 10, 10 or 11 or something at that point, it was kind of late. And then my husband had gone to sleep knowing that he was potentially gonna need to wake up in the middle of the night. And so he was already asleep. And it just felt like this really beautiful time to finally be able to be with myself and my baby. Um and that was one thing I wanted to be different the second experience because I was like, you know, I had done what I was supposed to do in that first first experience, right? Like I woke up my husband, I told him I was in labor, all of that stuff. And this time I was like, I want to be by myself for at least the first part of labor. And there's this like meditation uh album. I don't know if you're familiar with the artist Above and Beyond. They're like a uh, electronic, um, like kind of trance music, um, uh, artist group and, but they have this meditation track that's really beautiful. And, um, I knew that I wanted to listen to that. And so I like put my headphones in and, um, and I just get like on the Swiss ball that I have in my living room that like every evening I would just kind of lay on it a little bit and be on my knees it just felt so good to have my belly hanging um and I just kind of got into this sorry I don't what's that track called for anyone that wants to play it um if you just if you look up above and beyond um meditation track uh I forget what it's yeah I forget exactly what it's called full uh something flow no I know we're always looking for good
1: music
2: yeah um
1: you can send it to me.
2: Yeah. So anyway, so then I, um, let's see. So then I listened to that probably for the next, uh, Oh, it's called flow state. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Flow state. Um, and I listened to that for the next, like, uh, three hours. I put it on like repeat album so that like, and I just zoned out, like I was I was asleep <laughs> breathing through the contractions and it was such an, a, like, I was totally in a flow state, right? Like, which was, which was the cool, the cool part about listening to that track because it was, it was just so like um, continuous, you know, like the music was so continuous, right? It wasn't like a clear definition of like when the song changed. Right. And kind of like binaural beats. And um, so I was just kind of like, I don't know, I think for three hours, three or four hours, maybe I was listening to that. And then at some point I like kind of come out of this, like, you know, the state and, and I realized like all of the needs that I have, you know, like, Oh, I'm like really thirsty and I'm really hungry. And, you know, I could really use like a hot water bottle on my back right now. And it was just enough like needs that I was like, I really don't want to get those things for myself. (laughs) And so then that was when I was like, okay, I'm gonna wake up my husband. And so then I wake him up and, the intensity of the, the sensations were quite high. Um, and it's just so fascinating. I was able to sleep through all of that, you know, like that I was just like in this totally different, like, con- like subconscious zone where it was, I was really in a trance, you know, and it was so fascinating because I, it wasn't like intended to be that way, but I was like, oh, I, I know I need to rest. And I just like, want to be able to like be in a position where I can breathe through and, and all of that. And I it, it was really cool to, to put myself in that state. Um, so then after I like wake up my husband, I like realize how intense these, these sensations are. And I like go into my bed and, and I'm just laying like, you know, I stack all these pillows underneath my chest. and I'm just kind of like resting my head and I have my belly hanging and I'm just breathing through them. And then I tell my husband, I'm like, Oh, like while you're up, like, why don't you just set up a birth pool? And so, um, I have him set it up. And then as soon as he says it, I'm like, fill it with water, (laughs) you know, like that sounds really good. Like these, these are pretty, pretty intense. And so, um, again, like in hindsight, I wish I didn't submerge myself in water, um, because I feel like it delayed like the actual birth. Um, and I know like, I've heard that elsewhere, um, that like, if you get in too soon, it can delay the birth or whatever, but like, I think for, at least for the way my body anatomically is, I really need the weight of the baby to like push down and like signal to my brain that it's time to push the baby out. Um, cause when I was in the water, I was like, you know, again, like breathing through the sensations, moving in different positions and I could feel my baby moving. Right. And that was the thing that I thought was so cool. Cause like before I hadn't tuned into that, I could feel my baby moving and, Um, you know, I was like, well, it doesn't feel like I'm ready to push. It just feels like I'm breathing through these sensations. And then finally, I think it was around seven in the morning or something. Um, you know, uh, it's just starting to get a little bit lighter. It's in April and I stand up. Uh, oh, because I had started pooping in the, I started pooping in the birth tub and it was really gross. (laughs) And, um, I just felt like I felt gross being like immersed in that. And so I was like, I need to stand up. I'm done here. Like we had already refilled the birth tub, like a couple of times with hot water. And it's like, it doesn't feel good anymore. And so I stood up and as soon as I stood up, I felt like my baby dropped down and I was like, whoa. And like, there's this picture of, um, my husband catching me because like, I, I step out of the, the birth tub onto these stools that he had placed there. Cause it's kind of high. And I like drop, I drop down into a squat and it like involuntarily. And he catches me, you know, to make sure I like was actually going to fall. And I'm like leaning up against him and I'm just like breathing. And um, we had these these stools and these chairs right outside the birth tab. And so I had placed my hands on the the seat of the chair um to kind of like prop myself up a little bit. But I was like, I'm in the squat and I can't, I can't move out of this position. I, I need to stay right here. <laughs> and so he's like, well, let's make this a little more sustainable. So he like grabbed the chairs and like put them underneath my legs. And so Um, so like in my, in the pictures, you can see that I'm like, I'm sitting in this like deep in this like squat, um, with these two separate chairs underneath each leg. And there's this like basin underneath, um, you know, where like all of the like liquids are coming out and stuff. And so, um, so then it's about like 30 minutes, like from that point, it was about 30 minutes until my baby was born. And, um, and I remember feeling that sensation of, wow, like this, like this feels really intense. It feels way too intense to push with it. And it like brought me back to my first birth of like, okay, I can't push into these sensations, but then to just like tune into what sensations I was feeling, it really felt exactly, you know, you, you hear this, this um. you hear this analogy of, Uh, like the waves of contractions, right? Like that there's the surge of the waves. Well, it really was like that because I don't know if you've ever surfed before, but when you're trying to like swim into a wave, you can totally get destroyed if you swim directly into it, right? If you're trying to ride the wave, you have to like take a couple strokes before like before it actually crashes, to be able to catch the momentum of the wave. And it was exactly like that where, and I figured that out just through my own, like tuning into my body, where it's like, oh, okay. Like if I start actually trying to release and, and, you know, gradually push with that growing sensation, like as the contraction starts to begin, um, then like, I can actually push with the, with the movement, that womb movement, right. Um, rather than, just like holding back and then pushing at the peak of it right and so that was like for me that was the critical piece was learning how to push with that sensation and and so finally i did that like for with one sensation i was like wow like he's actually i can feel the baby moving as i'm pushing through and then um you know and then i kind of just like it starts happening really fast where i was like i can't i knew like logically like oh you're not going to tear if you push slowly right but I was like, there's no way I'm gonna push slowly right now. Like I feel him moving through and I have to keep pushing with that. And and he just like breaks through, you know, literally. Um, and he was a large, he was a large baby, um, you know, over the hundredth percentile on all the measurements. Um, he was 10 pounds. And um my body was fully able to birth him, right? I'm like five, six. Uh and you know, I don't know, 140 pounds, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I did tear, but it felt physically like my pelvis had broken into a, like a hundred pieces. Um, you know, like, (laughs) like I was able to birth him. Um, but I had to move to my maximum capacity in order to do so. And, and I think, and I, I know if I had been in a, um, medical setting, like I likely would have been pathologized into like, Oh, your baby's too big. Like, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Especially if they, if they did any kind of testing, like, wow, like he's really big or whatever. And, and so you just got into all the movements that you intuitively needed to right.
1: hurt them. Who knows what happened and like yeah, midwife scenario. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so he came out. And I just remember like, as he was coming out, I was like, wow, he's still coming out. Like I could feel like his head and his shoulders and his hips. And I was like, this is a really big baby. Cause <laughs> like, it's really coming out. Like it, it felt like it took a long time, but I'm sure it was just like 30 seconds or something. Um, and so, but yeah. And you know, he comes out and my husband catches him. Oh. Cause I remember like, I actually, I could feel him coming and I'm like breathing with it. Right. And, and so under my breath a little bit, I'm like, what did I say? I said something like, uh, Mark, catch the baby, (laughs) you know, just like in this really like funny voice. Um, and I was like, Mark, catch the baby. And he's right there. Um, and as soon as, and I think the baby, I think the baby's coming out and it was actually the bag of waters hadn't burst yet. Right. I didn't realize that, you know, I forgot that, that the waters hadn't burst yet. And so my husband gets splashed with (laughs) all the water. (laughs) Uh, and you know, it's like all over him. And then the baby comes out, you know? Um, cause and I thought, I thought it was the head, you know, it's like, oh man, like it was a little discouraging. Cause he was like, oh, that was the bag of waters. And, um, I was like, oh, like it really felt like the head. Um, and so anyway, he comes out, my husband catches him and, um, yeah. And he just immediately hands him up to me and I'm just like holding him and he's just like immediately like you know, I knew at that point, right. Like I wasn't carrying twins and it was just because he was the large baby. That was why I was so big. Um, and yeah. And so it was just so, so beautiful to just be like holding him and to like have, like have that experience. And I don't want to say like it healed my first birth. I know a lot of times people look at their second birth as like a healing opportunity, but I just felt like it was such a, a great confirmation in my intuition and the wisdom of my body, you know, it was like, it was everything that I, in my first birth, like going into my first birth, I knew like, these are, this is the way it's supposed to go. But then I had invited people into my environment that had kind of denied that for me, you know? Um, and so then it felt really good to be able to be 100% in control of like, who was in my, who was in my environment, like who, uh, was, yeah, engaged in, in the entire birth process, right? Like my photographer was actually outside with my older son. He had woken up, I think an hour before I gave birth and, oh, I forgot to say, forgot to say that part, but he, he had seen me in the tub and I was kind of like breathing through and he kind of like looks at me and, you know, when he first, when a child first wakes up, like they want to connect with their mom first. Right. And he looks at me and he's just like, what's going on? You know, is she okay? And, um, he's like, mom, I want to, I want to get in with you. I want to get in with you. And so it's like, okay, come in, you know? And I think I was on a rest and he comes in with me. And then as soon as I start feeling sensations again, and I'm breathing through the sensations, it's a little too intense for him. And he's like, I want to get out. I want to get out. <laughs> so he gets out and he's like in his little like bathrobe. And I just remember he like comes back to look at me and he's like, I want to come back in.
1: <laughs> oh. And,
2: and it was such a, you know, a sweet experience, you know, for him to like, both like get to, to notice like just how intense the birth process is. Um, but for me, it was actually really the first time I had to prioritize my baby over my older son. And that was like a, a key, um, milestone, I guess in my like motherhood journey was like actually having to say like, no, like, you need to, you need to leave now. Cause, cause he was like, I want, like, I want to come back in and I don't know, you know, he was like starting to cry and stuff. And I was like, Mark, you need to get him out of here. Like, I can't, I can't let him come back in and I have to, I have to be with this baby right now. And so I think it was, a, it was an essential like initiation into the, being a, a motherhood, mother of two, you know, to be able to like say no to my older child um, and prioritize the needs of my younger child. And that's not to say that like I always say no, right. I do prioritize his needs too. Um, but it was important for me to be able to do that. Um, and so then like, you know, he was outside playing with, with my friend who's the photographer. Um, and then, you know, Carlin had been like nearby and she like, as she realized like baby's baby's out, like, let me go grab Bridget. So she like grabs her and come back in. And then my son comes back in and he sees me with the baby. And, um, you know, I was crying like intense tears of joy, you know, and, you know, like the entire spectrum, right? Like you're fully split open physically, but you're also like, this is the most like amazing time in your life. And, um, and so I was just like weeping, you know, like, I don't think I've ever cried like that before. Um, and it was just so, it was so beautiful to, um, to experience, right. I'm like, I'm sure to, to witness as well, but to experience, it felt so, um, just so special. And my son comes in and he's, and he's looking at me and he kind of like, looks a little scared, like mom's bloody and she's crying. Is she okay? And I look at him and I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. (laughs) You know? And then, you know, and and then he and my husband and myself and our baby, you know, we're just all together. And pretty soon after that, I was like, I, you know, I want to lay down. So I get on the floor and I lay down and it took me um, quite some time to uh, get the placenta out. And it was interesting because, you know, I've heard stories about, oh, you have to energetically release it and like, thank your placenta for, for serving you and like being okay and all of that. And um, it was interesting because I was doing all of that. <laughs> And he, my son had started breastfeeding, like, right. Like as soon as I brought him to my chest, pretty much he like started breastfeeding without me even trying to like latch him on. Um, but the cord was fairly short, like in order for, like for him to be attached to my breast, it was actually stretching the cord and, um, it felt like impossible to get into any position while holding him and because i had like really split open like my whole pelvis in order to birth him i physically couldn't stand up by myself um and i couldn't walk for sure especially with a baby being connected to, you know by a cord and so i was like holding him and like using a support with um you know my friend carlin and she was helping me towards the couch uh so i could lay down she had laid down some like towels and stuff and um And I was just kind of laying down like breastfeeding and I was like, okay, like, let me just try and like release and try to push. And like the, the afterbirth contractions just started getting more intense, like the longer the placenta was, was in there. And I knew I needed to get it out. And I I felt like I eventually like physically got to this point where I was like, I can't do anything. You know, (laughs) I can't even focus on this baby until I get the placenta out. It just felt like such a, like my body was actively wanting to. Um, to get it out. And so I felt really conflicted because I couldn't get into like a good position to like stand up or squat. Um, you know, I tried, um, I tried like leaning against the couch with the baby on the couch and squatting over a basin to try to like pee, you know, cause it felt like I had to pee and I was like trying to pee and like I would pee. And then the, the pee would like go along the cord and get all over the couch. And it was like, really, it was like, oh, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel good. And, um, and it just felt like I couldn't pee either, you know, like it, it it was really hard to pee. And finally, after three hours, I was like, okay, like, I'm trying to let this come out on its own. I'm trying to like push it out, but I don't feel like I can adequately push and be in a position where I feel like I can release. Um, and so finally I was like, okay, we're going to cut the cord. And I had wanted to do a Lotus birth, but I also like, wasn't attached to it. I was like, well, you know, we'll see what happens. I had gotten a cord clamp um, as a backup just in case. And, um, and so, you know, I, it felt really good to decide um, when I was ready to do that, you know, and I had taken some, um, I do if it was Angelica or Shepherd's purse. I forget which one it was. Um, to help like bring the placenta out, but didn't do anything. Um, and so then once I cut the cord, um, you know, I gave baby to my husband, and Carlin helped me to the bathroom, and I asked her to cut a piece of the um, the cord off so I could put it in my mouth, and uh, just so I could get that natural oxytocin uh, to help me release the placenta. And I I wanted to shower and stuff. I was like, let me go take a shower see if I can just like push a little bit in the shower and, you know, pee and all of that. And, you know, while I was in the shower, she had set up a towel on the toilet uh, underneath the toilet seat so that I could just like catch the placenta there if I wanted. Um, And so I was in the shower for, I don't know, a few minutes, had the, had the cord in my mouth. And then I get out of the shower, I go, I sit on the toilet and I release and it comes right out. And um, I don't know if it's just like our bodies are designed to release or not designed, but trained to release on the toilet. You know, that's why I felt like I could do it, but I was trying, I was trying to do it in the shower. It wasn't coming out in the shower. Um, And so anyway, so we, you know, the towel catches the placenta and Carlin had set up the um, towels in my bed and, you know, she helps me walk to the bed and my husband brings baby to me and we're just laying in the bed, right. For the rest of the day it was like eight o'clock in the morning, I think. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, that was like the, once the placenta was out, I felt like a full energetic completion where I was like, okay, like this is done. Like we have this new baby and you know, we're breastfeeding already. And it, it just felt like a, such a natural flow into, um, yeah, new month, new motherhood. And, um, it, it definitely took some more physical recovery, um, from that birth, you know, like for the first like two days, I couldn't walk to the bathroom. So I had this like basin next to the bed, um, where I would like squat, <laughs> you know, and we had like this floor bed where I would like squat, you know, uh, from my bed onto the basin to pee. And then, uh, you know, my husband's a naturopath. And so he, had you know, had all of these things to like help me with my healing, and so he like would bring the red light, and I would lay on my side, and then we'd have the, the red light, you know, on my perineum. Um, you know, he would prepare these herbal sits baths for me. Um, and uh, you know, he was such a great postpartum doula, you know, like he knew exactly how to care for me. He would bring me food when I needed it, uh, bring me water and tea and everything, and so um. Yeah. So then I like, I was able to, like, I think the the tears healed. I never really like looked at that point. Cause I, I just kept my legs closed and I was like, I don't want to see how bad it is. Like, I know it's torn. I'll feel when it's, when it's healed. Um, it was healed within a week. Um, I was able to walk easily within, you know, like three or four days. Um, and it did take a lot of time to like rebuild like my core strength. Right. And, um, of course, like that's, the more your abdominal muscles get stretched out, like the more it's going to take to like rebuild that strength, and so that took me longer um, the second time around. I think also just because I didn't give enough energy to that healing, that intentional healing um, of my uh, you know abdominal muscles and and like breathing and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, in general, like um, that went that healing went pretty well. We had food delivered for like three weeks um, from friends. And then I also had like food that I had prepared in the freezer that I was, you know, calling on when I needed it. Unfortunately, like, you know, with the nature of my husband's work, it's hard for him to leave for a long period of time. Um, You know, he does primary care practice. And so um, he, uh, and he has really, really complex patients. And so he went back to work at three weeks um, postpartum and I wasn't living with my mom at the time Um, that third week postpartum was very hard. Um, because now i had two children, you know, a toddler and, a um, and a newborn, I still wasn't fully physically recovered, right. Like to be able to like baby wear all day long. Um, and so I had invited friends to come multiple days that week. Um, and my mom came one day and, you know, I just kind of like planned it so that like my son had ki- had kids to play with, you know, he could go outside and like, I could just be at home. And thankfully, like I had that support throughout that week, but even then it was still, it was still really hard. Um, and my husband had, ta- had taken paid leave, um, you know, in Washington, um, pa- all parents get at least 12 weeks. And if you give birth, then you get 16 weeks. Um, and so he just took, the three weeks at the first time. And then he took one week um, each month following that. And so that was really nice. I feel like he was able to to develop a really strong bond with our, both of our children, you know, um, and I was able to get more continued support um, throughout that first year, which you don't need the support just in the, the just in the first, the first, tri- or the fourth trimester, you know? So um, yeah, so that was kind of uh, what that immediate postpartum looked like. And then um, yeah, I got back into like my normal like motherhood routine, you know, of just like, wow, like at six months he was already crawling, they were already playing together, and it was like, wow, like they're just you know he's he's that that first six months just like flew by, and um, I think that's the sad part about having like subsequent children is that you just don't get to spend as many hours like laying in bed staring at them. <laughs> Um, and I also didn't get to like nap as many, you know, as many times as I wanted to and needed to in that, in that time. So it it does, it does really help living, you know, having like live in help um, for those times where it's just like, oh, like baby needs to nap. Cause my like older son would come in and like intentionally try to wake up the baby <laughs> when I was trying to put him to sleep for like at least the first year. So that was like really stressful for me. Um, and yeah, so, but it, you know, it, it, it it all like ebbs and flows in terms of like how hard it is and how easy it is and there's always moments of joy and i feel like all of the hard parts now you know like my my child is now like nearing 2 years old um and uh i feel like all of those those challenges leading up to like becoming a mother like really really prepared prepared me for like the, the hardness of it all. <laughs> you know, I feel like it the birth is birth is hard. I mean, but it's like, I think being a mom is like daily, daily challenges.
1: <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Wow. Those are beautiful stories. Um, it's just an extension of your trust in the body and your attunement with yourself that they were just kind of simple in a way um so I love yeah I love them so much yeah you, thank you for listening <laughs> do you think that um like the second one just the way that you did it um has shifted you like how has it shifted you as a mother um of course mm-hmm. now too but I'm just wondering if like that strengthened you in different ways and strengthened your intuition as you
2: said yeah I think it strengthened me as a mother in terms of like reaffirming what I know to be true you know like from a from an intuitive standpoint but also like a physiological standpoint Um, and then I it also like further reaffirmed like my professional path of like this is how I really need to be helping people. Right. Because when you have an experience like this, you see just how, like how wrong (laughs) so many other experiences are. Right. Like I don't like to use the word wrong, but like when it could be blissful and enjoyable and like life giving and like really like charging you up for your motherhood journey, how many women are going into this experience in suffering in, you know, they're a victim to their environment. They are, uh, constantly placed in a place of, um, not trusting their bodies. You know, this is wrong with you. Your body has this, you know, like in fertility problems, um, there's this label called luteal phase defect, right. Where it's like, even just the name means like, like somebody even subconsciously, they feel that like, oh, so a part of me is defective. And that's not true. It's y- your luteal phase is short because it's trying to tell you something. Yeah, <laughs> something is out of balance. Right. And so it's this wisdom of the body communicating to you like, Hey, something needs attention here. And it's for your own good that you need to look at it because that's going to optimize your chances of getting pregnant and carrying a healthy baby to term, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so anywhere along the motherhood transition, there are like very frequent areas that women are disempowered. Um, And it takes a lot of intention and active unlearning to be able to listen in to what your intuition is telling you. You know, like you have to like call, like turn down the volume on like society's voices and say like, what does my body tell me? And so often throughout like you know, from adolescence, right? Women are taught to ignore their cycles, take this pill, you know, move on. You know, if you have period pain, just take a, you know, pain medication or whatever and like move on. And so we're trained to ignore our intuition. And so of course, when it comes to birth, like people just want to run away because that's how they've been trained, right? They've been trained to, when you feel intense emotion, run away. <laughs> um, And that's actually like maybe I'll just end this with, um, I had written down, uh, my birth story in a blog post. And at the very end, I wrote down like some words of wisdom for birthing mamas. And I feel like it kind of, uh, it's a great way to kind of like round this out. Um, and I'll skip, I'll skip parts. Uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll read it if that's okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> The state of bliss I experienced as I was giving birth is the ultimate high my baby and I will ever experience. And we experienced it together. No drug can give us that. How often in our culture do we suppress the pain or sadness with medication? And how often are we also seeking stimulation from external sources, be it drugs, alcohol, superficial sex, technology, etc. Life needs duality. Without darkness, there is no light. Without sadness, there is no joy. Without pain, there is no bliss. There are two sides to every coin, and when we fear pain, the sadness, the darkness of life, we too deprive ourselves of the bliss, the joy, and the light available to us. It is not only a preference to experience the spectrum of emotions and states. I personally believe it is my responsibility as a mother to provide this experience to my children. If birth is the one moment where my baby experiences the ultimate oxytocin rush, the highest level of love and connection, this sets the baseline for what he perceives as love and connection for the rest of his life. If a woman receives synthetic oxytocin or pitocin at birth, if she didn't before emergence, it's typically standard procedure to receive a shot of it, often unknowingly immediately after birth to stimulate the birth of the placenta. The synthetic oxytocin blocks the oxytocin receptors from being able to respond to your body's natural oxytocin. This is why many women don't feel the immediate bond and connection with their babies, even though they logically choose to love them. How many people suffer from depression because they were deprived of ultimate connection at birth? How many people are constantly seeking connection but fail to know what that feels like? If you desire to break the generational train of, uh, chain of birth trauma as a result of suppressing women's power through sabotaging the birth process, I encourage every woman to truly envision what they want of their birth. Not only what their provider will let them do, unfortunately, as the medical system exists today, birth either requires so much advocacy if you truly seek a physiological birth, often resulting in compromising your birth plan or simply opting out of the medical system. If you desire a medicated birth where you don't experience any of the pain or joy of birth, then a hospital birth is likely a great option for you. This is not a judgment on anyone's choices. Everyone has their own preferences and views their responsibility as a mother differently. Whatever your birth decisions may be, I hope that they are truly chosen by you and that you are not coerced into doing anything that you are not comfortable with. Trust in the wisdom of your body and take every step you need to feel confident in your choices. As birthing mothers, it is up to us to set up our journey into motherhood and manifest the experience we envision as prepared as possible. This is not a sit back and let your provider deliver your baby scenario. It requires preparation of mind, body, and spirit. And this is why I love to support women in their preconception period, to guide them in becoming the mother they want to be before their child is even conceived.
1: I agree with everything here there just how uh, how important all this is to mm-hmm. our own mothering and our children witnessing us and our power and our absolute joy um there's so much I wanted to ask you about uh, preconception nutrition but I know we're coming up on our on our time here So maybe we could save it for another time, but maybe just to kind of sum it up. um, Yeah. What do you think is like the most, I know, I know you focus on like nutrition and nourishment. So what do you feel like is like the top thing that a woman should focus on in her preconception time? And then I'll send her your way to just look at all of your amazing posts too.
2: Yeah, sure. Mm I mean, I think the number one thing is from a nourishment standpoint is to just optimize nutrient density. Um, There's so many, like, there's so much controversy in the field of nutrition of like, this food is toxic, this food is harmful, this food is whatever, you know, and it really comes back down to whatever, like philosophy of like, whatever, like diet philosophy you might have, like when it comes to building a baby, there are certain physiological truths And, um, and they're not really up for debate. (laughs) Um, and so I like to just focus on that, you know, like how do we optimize nutrient density, um, you know, providing the woman's body with the foods that provide those nutrients, um, to grow a healthy baby, to support normal hormonal balance. Right. Because, this, the same thing that helps grow a healthy baby helps you to be fertile, you know, like it's all congruent. And so what helps you to be healthy helps you to be fertile. And, um, and so I really like to work with women on the side of like, if they're, if they're receiving signs from their menstrual cycle, that something is out of balance, let's, let's start there. Like, what's the imbalance that, that the body is craving, uh, you know, um, balancing from. Right. And so, um, I think optimizing nutrient density is kind of like my first priority, but then there's so many other areas that, um, that kind of go along with that, that then impact the different ways that women's menstrual cycles are affected. Right. Like if somebody has, you know, a state of estrogen dominance, which is usually, you know, viewed as like having PMS or, you know, heavy, painful periods or, you know, endometriosis or PCOS, right? Like there are certain things that we can do to help, um, bring the body back into balance, right. You know, to bring estrogen to a normal amount to, which then brings progesterone to a normal amount. And, um, and the more we see like the menstrual cycle, um, fall into more normal ranges, right? Like the ranges, because we're personal, we're like, we're individual people, right? We don't all have to follow the same pattern, um, you know, exactly the same pattern. But generally, the more like normal your menstrual cycle is, the more likely you your hormones are balanced in a way that are going to optimize your the health of your baby in a way that ensures that not only is it going to have like good brain development, right? As most people are concerned about, but like, you're going to carry to term and not only are you going to carry to term, but you're like, you're going to like have a healthy baby. And not only are you going to have a healthy baby, but you're going to have a healthy mom who can care for that baby. And so I'm like, a lot of times people are like, oh, I just want to get pregnant. And I'm like, no, that's the bare minimum, <laughs> you know, like I want you to feel good going into your pregnancy so that you can like face the challenges of motherhood in a way that you're not going to feel depleted, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so that's where I feel like the preparation is so critical. That preparation period is so critical because, um, it's like, you're building up your bank account, right? Like you're not going to just like spend like crazy during your pregnancy, right? Nutritionally spend like crazy without building up your bank account first. And even if you're eating a nutrient dense diet in pregnancy, you're still expending more than you're bringing up, bringing in. And so that's where I really liked like women to, to prepare themselves to build up their bank account and, and help them to move into this place of extreme stress, right? It's a normal natural stress, but it is a stressor on the body to, um, to be able to like conceive and carry a healthy baby to term. And so, and Mm -hmm. term looks different for people, but um, you know, I think it's, it's something that um you know i also want to like recognize that like that like pregnancy loss is a normal thing as well and i think there's a lot of wisdom in that um and so that's not to say that like every woman is going to conceive like every time she conceives she's going to carry a healthy baby to term that's not that's not true i think it's about like putting your body in the place where it's most receptive to to doing so and then if something happens and like that pregnancy needs to be released then there's there's wisdom in that release and that it was supposed to, it was supposed to happen that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that takes a lot of our reserves too, just each time we get pregnant. And I think it's like the long game too. Now I hear more women talking about like, okay, what about like 50 years from now? What about what's going to show up in our children? Like we have to understand it's just more than like we give birth and we feel good. And that means that we did well. And it's like, there's so many more things after that, are that, that can be depleting. And yeah. So we really need to take extra efforts with our nutrition, especially in yeah. new times. So yeah,
2: totally. Yeah. Well, I know we went a
1: you know, lot we did, over okay. in so, terms of um, like what,
2: what our goal time was, but it's yeah. hard to like really pinpoint exactly what's important. Cause you want to, you want to tell everything. <laughs> exactly. I,
1: yeah, those were really beautiful stories. And I just thank you so much for for sharing them and all of your wisdom. And um, if you'd like to just share a little bit about what you offer right now, how you work with women, where to send
2: them, and then I'll have all the links for all the things we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So my website is anisawoodall.com. And that's kind of where you can find all of the the ways that I serve women, but I I do one-on-one online coaching, um, all throughout the motherhood transition. So helping women, um, with like fertility, helping with pregnancy, um, postpartum planning. And, um, I also have a course that's coming out, I think around the time that this podcast is going to be released. And so it's called resilient motherhood. And, um, there's going to be a kind of a, a DIY version of the course where you, it's just like, you know, it's completely self-paced. You do it on your own. And then there's also going to be a bundle where you can do it with coaching, uh, uh, like paired with it. And it's, I've been pouring like all of my time into, into putting that course together right now. Um, but yeah, it's essentially sharing almost everything I know, (laughs) uh, for helping a woman to prepare for pregnancy, um, you know, prepare for conception in a way that like optimizes their experience. Right. So all of like having lived those experiences myself, um, and helped other women do the same. Um, there are certain like foundational factors that I, that I'm finding, like if these foundational factors aren't met, then like, that's when we often see complications. And so, uh, for, like from a preventative point, like I want women, you know, who are anywhere from like currently trying to conceive, um, up until like two years prior to wanting to conceive. Like, that's kind of who I, who I want to find this course because um, then you can approach it with like, you know, the longer you find it, like then you can approach it with a little bit more ease, right? If you're actively trying to conceive right now, then there's kind of this like sense of urgency and like making nutritional change and and lifestyle change, like at any point is going to be helpful. Um, But Ideally it's happening, you know, more than three months prior to conception, just because that's, you know, the length of an egg to to reach full maturation is about 90 days. And so um, any changes that you're making, you know, or habits that you're having immediately prior to conception are the are the changes that are directly impacting the epigenetics of the egg that you release. And the same with the sperm, right? So like what your husband is doing, you know, about like two to three, three months prior to conception are going to directly impact, um, you know, sperm motility, morphology, you know, count all of those things. And so um, in my course, I I go through all of the things that, uh, you know, primarily a woman needs to do, but I also give recommendations for like food, lab testing, supplements, uh, lifestyle stuff for uh, her spouse as well. So um, that you can find at uh, Anissa Woodall forward slash resilient motherhood um, and I'm going to be giving Bethany a discount code for hundred dollars off. So, um, if you go through her code, um, you know, if you heard that, heard about that here, then please, um, yeah, please, please go through her code so she can get a, a percentage of that as well. Um, uh, hundred dollars is going to go to her and yeah, that's, I hope whoever, whoever needs this, finds this and, um, and that, that you learned something from, from my experiences. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you. If you are
0: loving this podcast and excited to listen more to these topics of sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, the call to women's work and more, then here are a few ways that you can support this project and help me continue to put it out there you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps reach more women. You can also check out my book, Pelvic Awakening on Amazon, which is all about womb healing and connection and covers so many topics. And if you love that, you can leave a rating and review there. Um, And then finally, you can also check out my learning library, which includes my wise woman practitioner training, personal healing workshops, and more. All the links are in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your support.